It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only, call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 93- one three eight one four five six seven or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com we hope you'll take out your bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of god's word on this edition of the virtual bible study and we welcome you into the virtual bible study for thursday october 16th 2014 thank you for joining us tonight my name is jacob gwynn my father greg gwynn is here to my right your left Dad, welcome to the program. Jacob, great to be here. Looking forward to our study tonight. Good to be with you tonight. And we'll look forward to hearing from you at 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. And in the chat room to the bottom of your video feed tonight, you'll find uh, other listeners signed in there where you can comment with other listeners as well. And we'll also look forward to hearing from Stephen, who's behind the controls tonight. Uh, Stephen, thank you for coming and helping us out. And, uh, well, we've got, you've got, uh, well, quite a blasphemous um, article that you pointed us to. to uh, I, I would probably use that word, too. Uh, we, we've come across a, uh, an article on, it's a blog, you know, there's bloggers everywhere out there in cyberspace. Yeah, and yeah. so I come across a blog by a fellow named Roger Woolsey. He's a United Methodist preacher. And uh, on his blog, he has written 16 ways that Christian, excuse me, 16 ways progressive Christians interpret the Bible. So it's not how Christians in general interpret the Bible. It's not how conservative Christians interpret the Bible. It's not even just how Christians interpret the Bible. It's how progressive Christians interpret the Bible. In which category he would place himself. Yes, he's, he's certainly a progressive. And in fact, for those who have any um, misgivings concerning where Methodists stand on interpretation of the Bible, they should read after Roger Woolsey. He's a United Methodist preacher. And so I would think that he would speak somewhat for how Methodists interpret the Bible. But at, le- at, a, at a minimum, he acknowledges himself as a, as a progressive. You know, we might comment about that, Jacob, just at, at the very um, beginning of our discussion. What about progressive versus uh, – I mean, he, re- he would regard himself as a progressive. We would, we would maybe regard ourselves as what some people would call fundamentalist or conservative. What we want to be is accurate Bible right. interpreters. Right. You know, and so really, I mean, if we're anything other than accurate, we're not what we need to be. But just the very premonition of a progressive, you know, progressive, that very word implies ever-changing, moving forward, not staying in a in a given place. Yeah. Whereas, dynamic. Yeah, dynamic in the sense of sort of always changing, always changing in the moment. Uh, we would argue that what we want is to be like the Christians were in the first century. Right. We want to understand the Word of God the way they did, and we want to make application of the way that they did. Because if we did what the inspired apostles did, what the church did under the leadership of the inspired apostles, that would have to be right, and it couldn't be wrong to be what they were. 
Yeah. And so a lot of people would say that's a very regressive. I suppose people would say that's a regressive approach. I, I don't think so, but it's certainly not a progressive uh, uh, approach to the Bible. All right. We'll look forward to hearing from you tonight. You picked out 16, uh, or actually he picked out 16 ways that they interpret the Bible. You've got all of those listed for us in our update list tonight. So I guess we'll just start at the top. And yeah, it's way too many to read ahead of time, but we're just going to comment about those. I want to remind everybody that you could have known of our topic earlier today, and you could have gotten these points uh, the, the progressive approach to interpretation of the Bible. We we sent these out to our update list earlier today. Uh, at a, to, uh, today was just slightly before 11 o'clock. It's usually at least by noon on Thursdays. We try to get this uh, update uh, in your email inbox, and you can get on our email list if you'll send us a, a message to questions at collegeview.com and just put add me to the list in your subject line, and we will do that. Um, the, what I what I've put here in this update, Jacob, are just sort of brief little blurbs. Uh, actually, each point was sort of a paragraph. Uh, I've got the I've got the longer article here, um, and and I I also included the link for those of you who got who got the update. Uh, we gave you the link to his blog so you could see it all. So I, I want to acknowledge that we've just taken a clip of each. He had like 16 paragraphs here identifying these 16 ways that progressive Christians interpret the Bible. We just tried to sort of get the, the gist of it or in a nutshell. All right. He uh, starts the article by saying all Christians pick and choose which portions of the, uh, of, of the Scripture, I guess, they interpret uh, literally. Progressive Christians simply admit this and share how we discern. So he says everybody picks and chooses. He's just, I guess big enough to admit that he picks and chooses and we'd say well if we're picking and choosing uh then we're on the wrong side of of the issue as far as god's concerned well uh, again i i would i would accept that that it may be true of us that sometimes we pick and choose that's not our intention and it may be the case And if you could find us being guilty of that then you know we need to we need to have that pointed out and identify that to us and then the and you know any unfair picking and choosing that we're doing any what that implies is we choose what we want to do and we leave off what we don't want to do yeah. and if you find that to be true of us then you'd be doing us a great service to show us where because that's not our intention and and just because your inconsistencies may line up with others inconsistencies does not prove that your inconsistencies are acceptable right uh, it's a it's a it's a it's a a failed attempt to justify yourself that many use, uh, and he's no different in that. Yeah, and, and I, want, I wanted to make clear that we, we're not claiming that we're perfect in our interpretation of the Bible yeah. or that we've got it all you know, uh, perfectly figured out. We're trying. That's what we're striving for. We don't deny that that's what we're striving for. Yeah. And, and I would not deny that it may be true of us that in instances we pick and choose, although that's not our intention, intention and we're trying not to. Yeah. We're looking for those uh, those situations where we may do that to try and eliminate them yeah. uh, from our approach. But uh, but anyhow, all right. He says number one. Number one, he says that progressive Christians think too many quote take the Bible too seriously and read it all literally. No, they they think that they they he says of himself we right. take the Bible too seriously or to to read it all literally. Well, he says he can't speak for all progressive Christians, but here's how many progressive Christians uh, approach, discern, and interpret the Bible. We embrace many variations of the view expressed by great Christian thinkers. In other words, these progressive thinkers say 
we take the Bible too seriously, we read it too literally. To no, read it to to read it all literally. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so, um, so in other in other in other words, if you read the Bible literally, then you don't you're sort of unenlightened and you don't take it seriously. Now, I would say this though, Stephen, we don't read all of the Bible literally. There are figurative passages, so it is a, a misstatement to say that we read it all literally. We don't. But I think he's more making a, 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 a he's more insulting the idea that we we accept it all as being God's word. Literally yeah. God's word. I, I I've never come across. I don't think I've ever come across a Christian who denied that there are figurative expressions, figurative wordings, even whole figurative passages, even whole figurative books in the Bible. I, I don't think I've ever encountered anybody who denied that there are figurative things in the Scripture. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, I don't, if if he's trying to pin that on us that we think it is all literal, then. I think that's a false accusation. But I think he, I think more uh, accurately, his his uh, statement is that it's literally God's word. In other words, that we take we we take the Bible too seriously to read it all as literally God's word and His instruction for us. Well, I don't know. I didn't take that statement that way. Okay. Uh, uh, I, I take it that he's saying uh, that we are we try to be too serious and take the Bible too literally. Yeah. I, I think that's what okay. he, that is what he's saying. Yeah. Now. Obviously, there's a there is a a a concern about being accurate in discerning literal from figurative things in the Bible, and not everybody is good at that. I mean, when some people there are people who take things literally that should be viewed figuratively, and they end up with some pretty far out theories when they do that. Uh, they're not treating the text fairly, and you have to let the context determine whether it's something meant to be literal or, or stated figuratively. Uh, so uh, we understand that, that that is something we have to do. We have to discern the figurative from the literal uh, in the word of God. Uh, but if, if the Bible is the word of God, how could someone say that we're taking it too seriously? Yeah. Well, you got to read the next one to find out why they would think you're yeah, taking it too yeah. seriously. Before we get to that next one, though, we, we, we've got an email from our friend Chris in the U.K., uh, and he asked the question, I think, that comes to mind here. What should we ignore? Yes, there's imagery or colloquial language used, but the thrust of each message is to be taken literally. Right. No, in other words, there, there is imagery, there are figurative languages, but the message is to be taken literally. Literally. Absolutely. Thank you, Chris, for that. Now, for instance, I might say, here's an example, just an everyday example. I might say, it rained cats and dogs at my house the other day. Yes, well, I think everybody who knows that we use – and it, that would be, by the way, Chris, if you're listening in the U.K., if you're listening live tonight, that's a colloquialism here. Yes. It rained cats and dogs. I, I doubt that you use that in England. But if I were to use that here, everybody would understand that I meant – my meaning is not literal. It, cats and dogs didn't fall out of the sky. But it was meant to convey the message that it rained really oh, hard yes. at my house. Yes. All right. So – when God uses figurative language, we, we typically use figurative language for sake of emphasis. Yeah. When God uses figurative language in the Bible, it's meant for emphasis, but it is meant to convey a message. It's not meant to be ignored because it's yeah. figurative. Yeah. All right. So it's somewhat of a, uh, a derogatory uh, reference there to us that we that, that we don't take the Bible seriously, so we read it all literally. Uh, but if we look at his next statement as how progressives view the Bible, it helps us understand why they don't read the Bible and take it literally. 
uh, number two on it. On go ahead, list. go ahead. He says, we don't think God wrote the Bible. We think it was written by fallible human beings who were inspired, not dictated to by the Holy Spirit. Hence, we don't consider it to be infallible or inerrant. They don't believe the Bible is infallible or inerrant. All right. Now, the reason why they're saying that, it was written by fallible human beings who were inspired by, not dictated to, by the Holy Spirit. Well, I mean, that that raises the whole question of inspiration, which we have studied on the virtual Bible study before. And we don't think that the Bible was, was produced by dictation. But we do believe that God used the human penman who mm-hmm. wrote down the Bible to put down the exact words that he wanted to be there. Uh, for instance, one passage about inspiration is 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Uh, he says, uh, verse 12, Paul says, Now we have received, not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Notice we speak the words that the Holy Ghost taught. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's really critical. The inspired writers were not just given a, a general idea and left to express it in their own uh, uh, feeble ways. God gave them what he wanted them to say and and made sure that the words that they employed to express those things were accurate. And so it's not subject to human error. Right. Uh, and so, uh, well, if you don't believe it's fallible or infallible and inerrant, then how do you determine what is and what isn't? You'll find here as he goes on in his uh, his article, there's a lot of human reasoning, a lot of human thinksos that go into determining. Now, if, if it is true that the Bible is fallible and errant because human men wrote it, then how how can we possibly hope to determine what parts we can trust and what parts we can't, what parts should be uh, followed and what parts should be ignored? It, yeah. it makes the Bible effectively a totally useless, useless. document. Stephen, document. it ends up with us as it boils down. We have to make up our own decisions on how we're going to live uh, because it has to has to pass the test uh, of our human reasoning and, and and our fallibility. Right. We don't really know anything about God. Absolutely. Yeah, that's yeah. right. There's no uh, way to know for sure. Yeah. First, uh, uh, Chris uh, in UK has uh, suggested the very familiar verse in First Timothy chapter three. Uh, excuse me. Excuse me. First uh, Timothy three sixteen. Yeah. First Timothy three sixteen is what he's referenced. Um, I actually think we want Second, Second Timothy, Timothy 3. Yeah, that's why he was throwing me off. He put down First Timothy, but he means Second Timothy 3.16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction and in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. And so he says, have they read that? It's God's thoughts written by men, and God is not a man that he should be, uh, that he should lie. All right. All right. So I, I think that's exactly right. We'll take a well, go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. We need to take a break. And uh, when we get back, we've got a lot of ground to cover, so we'll step it up a notch. But as you can see, the approach to the scriptures here of these that call themselves progressive is, one, two, discount what the scriptures teach. Don't take it all literally. And don't take it as an inerrant and infallible uh, a word from God. But you sort of pass it through your human filter and your human reasoning to determine what you want to believe and what you don't want to believe. And uh, and that is what uh, well he's not in some type of radical uh, far out uh, denomination 
that no one ever has ever heard of. He's in a very what would be called a mainstream denomination here yeah. uh, in the United Methodist Church. So this is how the religious world uh, today is looking at God's word, and it explains a lot of the errors that we see. Yeah, when he religion. said that he believes that the Holy Spirit inspired the word, then I would say he thinks that the Holy Spirit must have done a pretty poor job if it's as useless a document as it as as his position renders it. All right. We're going to take a break. We'll get your thoughts on the other side. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. Don't touch that mouse. The virtual Bible study will be back right after this. Hello. Hey, Matt. No, I don't have any plans for Friday night. What are you doing? Oh, I won't be able to go with you to watch that movie. Because, Matt, the movie is rated R. Hey, why don't you just come over and hang out at my house Friday night? Great, I'll see you there. Being pleasing to God means that you may have to be different than the crowd. But don't be afraid to stand up for what's right. You just might find it is easier than what you expect. A message brought to you by College U Church of Christ. Here's some quotes worth pondering. May our memories of kindnesses be long and of offenses be short. You never find time for anything. If you want time, you must make it. If you were going to die soon and had only one phone call you could make, who would you call and what would you say? And why are you waiting to do that? Man, wish I'd said that. Use your internet connection for something good. Listen to the virtual Bible study every week. Now, back to the program. We're back on the program tonight, and we welcome you back as we talk about, uh, well, an an article that explains how progressives view the Bible. And, uh, well, so far we've seen it's not the way that they should view the Bible. They do not take take it literally. They do not believe it is inerrant and infallible. Yeah. So we got to move quickly here. We got 16 points. He says these are 16 ways that uh, that progressive Christians interpret the Bible. So we got to move quickly. The third one has to do with what he calls horrible theology that appears here and there in the Bible. Wow. Uh, I, I think I got to read that, Jacob, to get the gist. I mean, that's one of the longer paragraphs in this whole essay. But he says. Well, we are aware of the many inconsistencies. Notice this. We are aware of the many inconsistencies and contradictions in the Bible. And while we are abhorred by and reject the various instances of horrible theology that appear here and there within the text, passages that posit God as a wrathful, vengeful, uh, uh, condoning slavery, even ordering rape and genocide, they don't cause us to reject the Bible. Rather, they endear us to the Bible. Not because we agree with these passages, but because we recognize that they are fully human, that they are authentic, they're down to earth, they're flat out, they flat out convey the desperate and very real frustrations uh, and lament the ang- and anger that are part of the human condition. The fact that such passages were allowed to be written into our holy scriptures are evident of a maturing people who realize that it's best not to hide our dirty laundry or to deny uh, our very real human feelings and passions if the bible were all about pr propaganda they would have edited out those passages we view those passages as exception to the overarching message of the bible of promoting unconditional love and the full inclusion and acceptance of all god's children indeed while we wish those passages weren't there they actually help us grant authority to the bible in that we see uh, in, uh, in that we can see what was written by fellow humans who are struggling with real life and death matters of injustice and oppression and since they make space for our need to vent and uh, rage, rage, we honor the Bible all the more for it honors our shadow sides and, and thus 
honoring is what allows, and this honoring is what allows for the possibility of our shadows being transformed and integrated in healthy ways. I, a lot of that, a lot of that just almost, that mush almost, you know, drives you crazy. But, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you've got what you have here at the end of this is we've got a book that we can't put any faith in. We don't have, know if it's what is true and what is not, and it has in here what he's calling theology that is horrible instances of horrible theology and offensive instructions yeah. it seems to me they're going to have to, he's going to have to give an answer to god for why why it is that yeah. way how can you uh say that there's instances of horrible theology that appear here and there but still accept the bible as a whole uh of course the question that's got to be asked is by what standard is is the theology horrible he yeah. calls the theology horrible how is it horrible uh, by his by his human wisdom, uh, I, I don't know. I I I I think we see real inconsistency in his position. It's horrible theology, but he accepts it as a whole. All right, uh, it, Chris in the UK says, "Sounds like a self-refuting statement. You can't reject a part of something and say you accept it all." It's like me saying I respect all Americans, yet I can't stand those Alaskans. Yeah, doesn't make sense. It's self-contradictory, exactly as Chris said. And okay. I think he's exactly right. Okay. Uh, Jack in Hampshire, Tennessee, says a denial of inerrancy is a serious matter and will lead to all kinds of problems doctrinally and practically. Doctrinally, is baptism really necessary? Practically, a loose view of the seriousness of homosexuality. If the Bible is filled with mistakes, which are uh, filled with mistakes, which are right and which are wrong? Why have the Bible if it's filled with mistakes? I think that's exactly right. Yeah. And it makes, again, as we said already, it, it makes the Bible a, a in effect, in effect, a totally useless, useless document. Get rid of it. Yeah. In fact, well, that's what many denominations are doing, and this gentleman is right in that group. In effect, they've gotten rid of the Bible. They want to cling to it and say that they still accept it, but in, in effect, they're getting rid of every bit of it that they disagree with. Uh, yeah, it almost makes you, makes you wonder why he would profess allegiance. I mean, because I, I think what you see him doing here is he's still professing allegiance in a way to the Bible, and you wonder why when he is so critical of what it contains. Yep, yep. All right, 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. Number four. Number four, uh, he says progressives read the Bible prayerfully, believing that the Holy Spirit helps them interpret what they read. So the Holy Spirit helps them to understand which part of it he got wrong and which part of it he got right. Is that uh, what we're to believe here? Uh, the Holy Spirit inspired, told them what to write, but it's not inerrant. So the Holy Spirit says, you know, I told Paul to write about uh, whatever the subject may be, but he didn't get it right. So. I told him to write about the role of women in the church, but I think he missed it. You know, yeah. So we can go ahead and have women preachers right? because the Holy Spirit inspired Paul, but Paul just messed up on that part. Yeah. And so the Holy Spirit is now telling me that Paul messed up. The Holy Spirit told Paul... And Paul didn't get it right. And so now, now the Holy Spirit is telling me, disregard what Paul said. Yeah. I yeah. guess that's what he's saying. I mean, as, as, as crazy as that sounds, that I, I think that's the, the way you would have to apply his message here. Yeah, all right. Chris in the UK says, the Spirit leads you into all truth. So how can he lead you to say some of the things you say are from the Bible? Yeah. All right. The Spirit obviously isn't leading this way. Yeah, if the Spirit was so ineffective... And leading those first century inspired men in what they wrote, then how could we trust that he'd be any more effective in in leading us uh, 
to interpret what we read. We're seeing the danger here. If we don't take the Bible literally, if we don't uh, take it as the inerrant and, and infallible word of God, then we do open the door to these views that say, I've got to have some type of interaction from the Holy Spirit, uh, Stephen, before I can understand what God wants from me. And, I mean, that's a logical conclusion that he's making, but it simply is not, uh, doesn't hold up. All right. All right, so we move on. We've got we got several of these to cover, so let's get another one. Number, number five. five. We're looking at number five. Progressives seek to apply full attention to Scripture, tradition, reason, and experience, and that includes the the insights of contemporary science. Mm. So they're going to take uh, basically place equal relevance uh, to, of, with tradition, reason, and experience, experience, and including the contemporary sciences to figure out what is truth. So um, certainly we, we want to play full attention to the scriptures, but we need to talk about our tradition and we need to talk about our experience. So the scripture says this, but my uh, but our tradition has been to do otherwise. Yeah. You know, uh, the, for instance, the scriptures suggest observing the Lord's Supper every first day of the week. But our tradition has been to do this twice a year. Yeah. So we got to take that into account. Yeah. Before we decide what we're going to do, we've got to take that into account. And our, our experience has been that people like it better yeah. when we do it just a couple times yeah. a year. Right. And, so, and our reason and, uh, and, uh, Tells us that uh, well we shouldn't. Uh, and by the way, we got to take into account. They they're saying we got to take into account the insights of contemporary science. You know, science is, you know, that Genesis thing is good reading. Yeah. But contemporary science says that's not the way we got here. Yeah. And so we got to take that into account too. Yeah. yeah. And Jack in Hampshire says, why f- play apply full attention to scripture if it's filled with mistakes? Exactly. Uh, and I like mm-hmm. uh, I heard. Uh, heard Bill Hall uh, speak on this subject, and he said what these people are doing is they're applying, they're reading God's Word and passing it through a filter of their reasoning and their think-sos. And anything that goes through that filter that seems okay to them, they'll they'll take. But anything that doesn't make it through that filter, then they'll reject that, which is what these people are doing. But he says in the end of that, when you do, when you take that approach, you have... The, the result of that is you have a God that's no greater than you are, who's telling you to do nothing other than what you would do in and of yourself, and you've got, basically, you've brought God down to your level when you do that, and that's what these people are doing. I think that's exactly right. What is that? I, I was trying to think earlier today. Uh, I've heard uh, different theo- theologians suggest a three-legged stool, and yes. I think the, the Catholic Church, I think, uses a three-legged stool of, Scripture, reason, re- and tradition. And tradition. Yeah. And so that's basically what he's saying there. He adds yeah. a couple of other things in there with it. But there's more. T- in other words, this, the answer is not decided by Scripture alone. Yes. And, that, and that's the really scary thing here. Because really we don't, we're not on a, a level playing field here. We really don't have common ground to begin a discussion with a, with a progressive like Roger Woolsey who wrote this blog. Because... Even if we could prove from Scripture, you know, go back to the idea of uh, the Lord's Supper every first day of the week. If Even if we made an ironclad case for that from the Scripture, which I think we can, he's not going to accept that because his tradition and his reason and his experience contradict it. Contradict it. And so he's going to count those things equally weighty with the plain statements of Scripture. We've got nowhere to go here. 
Yeah, that's right. We've seen the danger in it. All right, 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. Why don't we go ahead and take a break? When we get back, uh, they believe that there's no objective, one right way to interpret a passage. Let me let me real quick before we get to go to the break, read what Chris said. He said, I reject the idea of traditions. For example, if a church thought of offering if a church thought an offering gives you forgiveness or less time in hell and saw that that was wrong by biblical interpretation, then shouldn't that uh, then that shouldn't have happened? Oh, wait, it it did it. And I'm not sure. I'm a little crossed up on the wording there. But he's saying if tradition is as forceful as Scripture, then which one do we take when they contradict one another? Yeah, yeah. that's right. And I think they would probably say we'll throw out the Scripture because it's obviously – That's one of those passages that's in error. All right, we'll take a break. We'll get this week's bullet point, and we'll get your thoughts on the other side. Don't go anywhere. The Virtual Bible Study continues right after this. These guys are doing all of the talking. We need to hear from you. Call in now. The Virtual Bible Study continues right after this. This is Greg Wynn with this week's bullet point. As a gospel preacher, and I think I speak for all gospel preachers, I make this urgent appeal for assistance. Help me, please. No one will talk to me. Let me explain. I do not mean that people will not have pleasant conversations with me. Many do. We frequently discuss the weather or sports or politics. We often engage in such small talk before and after the public assemblies, and sometimes when we meet at the mall or a restaurant. It's not uncommon for brethren to invite me into their home or for them to visit in mine. Of course, we always enjoy these impromptu chats. When I say that no one will talk to me, I have something else in mind. With increasing frequency, I learn of brethren who have heard me teach something publicly with which they do not agree. Instead of coming to me to seek clarification or to correct me for what they believe was error, these folks keep it to themselves or perhaps complain privately to someone else. Others harbor bad feelings because of some personal hurt caused by me, either real or imagined. These things finally come to light months and years later. It is this area that I plead for help. Please talk to me. If folks will talk to me, and again I think I speak for all gospel preachers, then we can solve such problems. Often these things amount to a simple misunderstanding. I may have been unclear in my teaching, and you may have taken something in a way that I did not intend. If my actions seemed hurtful to you, it might be that your impression was mistaken. If so, when you approach me, we will be able to quickly resolve this matter. Then, of course, there is the very real possibility that I was simply wrong. In such cases, I definitely need you to come to me so that I can repent and seek your forgiveness and God's. His plan works for gospel preachers just like it does for every other Christian. So, help me. Talk to me. If you believe I was wrong, don't hold back. Tell me so. It's the only way we can, quote, keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Ephesians 4, verse 3. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. My name is Alex Dvorak, reminding you to listen to the virtual Bible study every Thursday night at 8 o'clock Central Time. Broadcasting around the world with truth that are out of this world. The Virtual Bible Study. Take it away, guys. We're back on the program tonight. I want to remind you this program is brought to you by the College of Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Find out more about us by visiting our website, thevirtualbiblestudy.com. And we encourage you to contact us at any time. Questions at collegeview.com is the email address to use. And we would look forward to hearing from you. If with any question you may have or any suggestion for future uh, editions, of the virtual Bible study. All right, we've got to move quickly, Jacob. We've covered five out of 16, and we've taken half of our time already, so a little quicker. Some of these are going to be a little easier to comment about, but okay. some are just pretty far out there, and, and uh, it, it's amazing. Um, 
Number six, progressives believe that there's no objective one right way to interpret the Bible. Oh, I think he means by that that he believes the Bible is inerrant and we ought to be listening and doing everything that it says. <laughs> no, that's not what he oh, believes. Oh, that's the way I interpreted that. Yeah. Does that mean that's right? No, he says there is no one right way to interpret the Bible. So I have to allow that you are free to interpret the Bible as you see fit. Oh, okay. And I interpret the Bible as I see fit. But I can't interpret his, his statement the way that I see fit. Okay. Uh, now, how would we have a a uh, any chance at unity if that's the case? Right. Uh, how would we know how to move forward? Um. So th- that's a that's an issue for sure. Right. Uh, hang on, just a minute. Got got to get some. Here we go. All right, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> we needed a key out here. All right. Uh. So yeah, th- 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 we break down to the fact that uh, we can't know what's right and what's wrong. And uh, there's no way to interpret the, the scriptures. Um, I wonder how that would work in um, in our laws of the land. You know, I'm, I'm going to drive home here in, in a little bit, and I, there's some highway laws that I'm expected to understand and apply. And, for instance, the one stretch of the road I'll be on has a speed limit of 55 miles per hour. Uh, if that's... What if I interpret that a different way and say, and, and a police officer stops me, but I just tell him, well, that's your interpretation. My interpretation is different. And so how how would uh, that go in regards to the laws of the land? Right. It, wow. it would never work. All right. Uh, and I don't know how we uh, can expect to have any kind of uh, effective uh Cooperation, how we can have any unity, how we can have any harmony if we approach the Bible that way. We can't. We simply don't have, we're not playing by the same rules. Um, and uh, Chris in the UK says, okay, how do you interpret Jesus wept? Hmm, surely it's, it, it is that Jesus uh, at that time wept and that he is the only, that is the only interpretation of that verse. So what expression, is, uh, so that expression is patently wrong. So Chris goes to the shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept and says, really, there's only one way to interpret that passage. Yeah, that one would be pretty easy. But, you know, this idea, it doesn't mean what it says, is a really old one because it goes all the way back in Genesis. Uh, God told Adam and Eve in Genesis oh. 2 plainly what they were to do. Yeah. And then when Satan came and tempted Eve, uh, he said, basically, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 4, the serpent said unto the woman, you shall not surely die. Yeah. God had said in the day that thou eatest thereof, Genesis 2.17, thou shalt surely die. And Satan says, well, you've just interpreted that wrong. You yeah. will not surely die. Yeah. You know, so this is an old argument that you know there's no right way to interpret. I wonder, uh, the scripture says, thou shalt not steal. Yeah. I just don't interpret it that way. You yeah. know, I, I want it your car. I want your car. Yeah. And I, I don't interpret that me taking your car would be a violation yeah. of that statement. Yeah. Now, you might. You're free to interpret however you want, but I don't interpret that way. I'm going to take your car. Yeah, yeah. Well, you Where are we going to go with that? Well, we usually don't have to. We don't usually have too much trouble on that because we don't really necessarily want to steal. But So I, I'll, t- I'll say we can interpret it that way. But it gets to something that I want to do. You know, maybe I'm I'm tired of my wife and I want a divorce. Divorce and remarriage. See, well, you really interpret you interpret it your way. I'll interpret it mine, and so that way, in the end, we Wouldn't both be... get to do what we want to do. Uh, yeah, and what if you and your wife don't interpret it the same way? I mean, yeah. where are we there's 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 
actually interpersonal human conduct would break down because so much of what we do is based upon biblical principles. And even people who, who don't profess to be Christians or Bible believers are still influenced by those moral standards and if they can't be understood, we got no place to go. All right. 877-381-4567. And the next one, I think we may agree yeah, on. Yeah, here's actually one. This that, is a little bit shocking. Yeah. Uh, he says, progressives look at the biblical text in their original languages and compare translations. Well, there, I think we could just say, that's good. I don't have a problem with that. I don't understand why that's an a, a why he thinks that that's what progressives, so progressives. do. Uh, we don't regard ourselves as progressives, but we try to do that too. Yeah. Now, we're not all uh, experts in the original languages, but we try to learn something about them. And, and we and we, uh, we acquire study aids that help us understand something about the original languages. I mean, we're not certainly not fluent in Hebrew or Corne Greek, but we do understand the importance of knowing something about those languages and trying to understand it. And but, and when I'm sure this guy would admit to the same, just because we have a Greek or Hebrew dictionary and a uh, Bible software with uh, an interlinear tool on it doesn't mean that we are experts in the language. We believe that. So um, anyhow. Uh, and, and, and most all of us have multiple tr- English translations of the Bible that we consult and read. Yeah. Um, and there are a lot of good ones, and and we we have I don't know I, I I haven't counted how many different versions I have access to, but it's a lot. Uh, there are some that are not real translations and are not reliable, but there are a lot of good English translations, and we consult them, we read them, uh, we make you know we make fairly regular comparisons between translations, and that's a good thing. And so I don't, I'm not a progressive, but I just wonder if that statement in there, Jacob, was meant to imply, you fundamentalists, you conservatives, you don't do that. Yeah. I, I just wonder if that was a little bit intended to say, we're better than you are because we do this and you don't, and it's not true. And Jack in the chat room says, Bible students uh, should also should use available resources. This statement made by the author appears to poke at those who believe the King James Version is the only true translation. Yeah. And he may be poking at a little bit there. But. Yeah, and we don't believe that either. And I think there are some who erroneously teach that the King James Version is the only English Bible you should read after, yeah. that somehow or another the King James translation is sort of an inspired translation, which it's not. We've had uh, programs on the virtual Bible, story, virtual Bible study in the past in which we talked about Bible translations. And although we frequently read from the King James translation, we do not believe it's an inspired translation, and we point out its flaws. But it's a good translation, and there are other good translations. All right. Number eight on the list tonight will be our halfway point, and we're well past the halfway point in our time. Okay, he says progressives look at Bible text. Oh, no, we already did that one. Number eight. It's a little hard to keep up. Number eight. Yeah. A progressives consider the best available biblical scholarship from those who study it academically and professionally. Uh, what about that, Jacob? Chris says in UK, he says, it is a, but it is a spiritual book, not an academic or professional one, so should be studied by those who are spiritual, not from those who are of the world. So I, I think Chris is right. How do man's credentials necessarily uh, prove right and wrong here? Uh, that's true. 
Stephen, uh, you know, I'm not opposed to looking at what other people have said, uh, the, the biblical scholarship, and maybe looking at some commentaries and people who've studied the issues uh, or the passages, the text, and to, to, to help me understand what it's saying. Yeah, you just you have to take it with a grain of salt, realizing that their interpretation isn't necessarily the truth. That's uh, right. Give greater weight to Scripture rather than man's opinion, but it helps to be educated and to be shown other points of view. Absolutely, just like maybe you and I get together, Stephen. We want to talk about a certain passage, and you say, no, it seems to me that it makes it is talking about it, this, and, uh, and, and we can do it together. Same with looking at some of these books. But again, as you said, we've got to remember these commentaries are not inspired. Uh, but we, but in in our day and time, I think we should point out too that the the majority of academic and professional Bible sources are of a liberal interpretation, yeah. and so that has to be taken into account as well. All right, number nine on the list is another one that we'll agree with, but he seems to imply that we wouldn't do the same as he does here in number nine. Number nine, he says, progressives seek to read passages in context, within their chapter, within their book, within their genre, and within the overarching thrust of the Bible. That's good. I uh, can't argue with that. Uh, but again, I wonder if he's saying, you fundamentalists don't do that. Well, we do. We try to. <laughs> we, we try very hard to do that. Uh, and and it's certainly uh, an important principle. Again, I would argue we don't necessarily always do that perfectly yet. But we should try to very carefully observe statements and teachings within their context. All right. Chris in the U.K. says, uh, too right. He agrees. He says, like 1 Corinthians 13 is not about weddings, but spiritual gifts, for instance. Well, it is about spiritual gifts. But there are principles that are applicable to weddings in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. But the theme of the passage is spiritual gifts. But certainly some truths that you could glean there uh, that would be applicable to a wedding. Uh, Stephen, any comments there? Yeah, uh, I, I just think that that's common sense when you read the Bible, that not everything is talking about everything else. You have to read the, the text in its context to realize the thrust of the passage. I don't know if he's implying, like you said, that, that fundamentalists or other do that. Yeah. people don't do that. But Yeah, yeah. okay. Yeah. All right, so again, we can agree. Uh, I, I'm kind of surprised that we do, but we can agree on that. Yeah, let's read things in their context. Let's make sure, uh, you know... One of the things we have to be careful about is what is sometimes referred to as proofed texting because you can take a statement out of its context and you can have it say something that was never intended. Yeah, you know? so you've always so, got to look at the So context. although we may quote just a, a, a phrase or just one verse out of a longer passage, when we do that, we're, we're obligated to make sure we're not perverting the context or trying to twist it from from how how it was stated and meant that's really an important principle and uh, we we certainly are aware of it and hopefully try to live by those kind of rules all right yes absolutely and and, you know you come across instances where people do take well-meaning people uh trying to teach the truth do take passages out of context so we've got to be careful about that yeah all right all right let's get one more here before our break jacob number 10 uh Progressives seek to read the passages with consideration of the historical, socio-political context, frequently of oppression, which they were written in. I don't know that we would disagree with that necessarily. There are certain passages that are written to certain people. Well, at certain yeah, and, and, and again, I think we do make effort to understand the background that 
that that the people were in when they received the message. We 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 try to understand uh, the setting in which the words were stated. Yeah. But what you have to be careful about uh, when Jesus said in Matthew nineteen verse six, "What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder." That's right. You know, well, they they certainly had a context, a a, a social, what, what does he call it, a historical, social, political context in which that statement was made. But it would be wrong for us to say, well, we're not in the same setting they were in. We're not in the same social, political context that they were in. Therefore, that rule about not dissolving marriages at ran at, at, at a whim should not apply to us. Yeah. I think that's the danger of that. Certainly, you know, we try to understand the the times of, uh, that the Bible yeah. was written in, the people, the, what they did, how they lived, uh, what things were impacting their lives, the kinds of oppression maybe that they were suffering. Yeah. We talk about that a lot. But not to discount the truths, but to understand them more yeah. thoroughly. For instance, here's one that we might we might look at Matthew 24, verse 16. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not go down to take anything out of his house. And let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. Now, those would be very confusing uh, verses for us to read unless we understood this context. And, uh, and the, it was and, talking about uh, the, at the times that they were living in then. And it was the talking about the of coming of the, of the Romans and the yeah. destruction of Jerusalem that would follow. Uh, but we could make a we can make an application of the principle, and that's readiness, constant readiness. Yeah. And, uh, so, yeah, uh, again, he may mean more than we mean, but we understand that principle. But I think he may take it further than we do to discount certain Bible teaching if it doesn't fit our current day. You know, the principle they are trying to state, I think, is we live in a different day and time, and therefore we got to take a lot of what the Bible says sort of with a grain of salt because it was written to people who lived in a different place and time. All right, we're going to go to the break, and we get back. We've got six more things to talk about, so just a few minutes on each. Uh, we'll talk about this. It will continue. You know, it's interesting. As he's making his observations, we see what the result of this is in his postscript to this article. He says, Employing this approach leaves me with no question in my mind that homosexuality between consenting adults in a committed monogamous relationship is not sinful. So that's the that that's the kind of uh, justification you can get with an approach like this to scriptures. And yeah. so we'll take a break. We'll get your thoughts on the other side. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. Did you hear what they just said? Call in during this break and let everyone know what you think. The virtual Bible study continues after this announcement. Hi, I'm Wade Shelton. In 1 Peter 3.15, the scripture says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. You see, we believe here at College View that we should be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks us. And I believe that we are dedicated to this cause. That's why we here at College View bring you the virtual Bible study each week. Our hope is that you will join us each week here on the Virtual Bible Study in hopes of strengthening your faith so that you will be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you. Please join us here every Thursday night on the Virtual Bible Study. I know that it's worth an hour of your time. We're tracking the trends on the Virtual Bible Study. Among mothers with children under age 18, the share saying they would prefer to work full-time increased from 20% in 2007 to 32% in 2012. At the same time, the public remains conflicted about what is best for children. 
Among all adults, only 16% say the ideal situation for a young child is to have a mother who works full-time. A plurality of adults, 42%, say mothers working part-time is ideal, and one-third say it's best for young children if their mothers do not work at all outside the home. That information is via Pew Research. The Word of God says in Titus 2, beginning verse 4, Encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, that the Word of God may not be dishonored. We're waiting to hear from you. Call in right now and join in on the virtual Bible study. Now, back to the program. We're back on the program tonight, and we appreciate you joining us. During the break, Stephen, you had some interesting observations about what you think might motivate uh, this approach to Scripture. Yeah, and I'm not exactly positive. I don't know the the person himself, but it seems like in the progressive culture, in the progressive um, group, people might not have a deep commitment to the truth, Maybe that's not the reason they're, they're taking these approaches to Scripture, but rather they had some emotional um, disconnect or discomfort with, with what was taught, perhaps by the fundamentalists or conservatives. Maybe that's their motivation for uh, they, they, approaching the Bible. They don't like way. the consequences of, of the of Exactly. The, uh, yeah. and, and, they, and I think you're right, Stephen, and I think they're kind of a little bit put out with those who are trying to interpret and apply the Bible as carefully as possible. And so this is this. They see this as maybe a. a, a um, I, I don't mean to judge this unrighteously, but it's almost like we, we're a little we're a little higher. We're a little nobler. Well, we, do, we're we're doing a little better than you. You do are. sense a lot of pride uh, amongst folks like this, and that they they've sort of decided well they know better than what the scriptures teach, and they're going to take uh, their view over what the scriptures teach. All right, let's go real quickly here. Uh, Number 11, progressives employ a hermeneutic, that is an interpretive lens of compassion, love, and justice that allows the spirit of the law to trump the letter of the law. That basically says if we don't think it's compassionate, loving, or just, we are not going to listen to what the scriptures teach. You know, uh, you you hear that expression a lot, you know, that that people favor the... The, the, they they want the, the spirit of the law over the letter of the law. It's interesting that that's never taught in scriptures right. that, that the that the spirit of the law trumps the letter of the law. Uh, Jesus, for instance, said in Matthew five nineteen, whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Oh wow! In other words, Jesus didn't say, well, you know, there's some that are real, there's some that are real important, and there's some are not so important. And you can just you can just disregard the lesser important ones, especially if they don't fit with your lens that you're looking through. And Jack says, if you use an interpretive lens of love, this sounds good, but ins- but ensure you take all passages into account and realize that none of these passages will contradict each other. If it does, then you've interpreted the passage incorrectly. Exactly right. And none of the passages uh, contradicts. The true sense of love, God's love, as is revealed in Scripture. Right. In other words, uh, in First John chapter two, verse three, hereby we do know that we know Him if we keep His commandments. Oh, especially want chapter five, I think. In in First John chapter five, verse three, this is the love of God that we keep His commandments, yeah. and His commandments are not grievous. And so, it's not man's notion of love. It's God's true representation of love as it's taught. And here's the fact that we use when we interpret Scripture, God knows compassion, love, and justice far greater than we do 
and we're going to take his direction on how we should behave in order to have that compassion, love, and justice. All right, let's go quick. Number 12, progressives give greater weight and priority to certain texts over others. And he goes on to list what those texts are. In fact, he ranks the the Gospels in certain order as to which ones he thinks are more valid than others. Yeah, of course, that that leaves us, uh, again, in in a really precarious spot because how do we know uh, I, uh, this really i think suggests that uh, s- some text he likes better than the others and so those are the primary ones and the ones he doesn't like as well are the secondary well ones. he says i interpret the other books that are not in his primary list of the bible according to how they jibe and are in sync with these primary texts so he's taking some texts he says now if they line up with what these passages then i'm going to take them but if they don't then I won't. It's all arbitrary. Yeah. We, we got. We can't go with that. Who makes the determination? Jack in the chat room says, "Who makes the determination?" Uh, uh, let's see. Chris in UK says, "On what grounds uh, do you take some to have greater weight than others?" He says that isn't fundamental. What grounds that that what grounds would you use that are not just absolutely and fundamentally subjective? And he says that he he uh, says some progressive Christians refer to themselves as red letter Christians, indicating they give the greatest weight to the words attributed to Jesus. Yeah, that, that, you know, that fails to uh, acknowledge the fact that Jesus said he would send uh, the Comforter, the Spirit, to, who would direct them into all truth. So, and Paul said in First Corinthians fourteen. Uh, verse 37, if any man think himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things that I write unto you are the commandments of the Lord. There is no more weight to the red letters. than. Got to go quick. Got to go quick here. Number 13, progressives seek to allow Scripture to interpret Scripture. I think we would agree that's, that. that's not bad. That's uh, and, and you know what? If he really does that, then that contradicts several of the things he's already said because if scripture interprets scripture then the outcome of that would be that we do not end up with contradictions if scripture is interpreting scripture then it all harmonizes Mm -hmm. Uh, and but he's already said that he doesn't believe that he believes the bible is full of contradictions so he's he's contradicted himself here i think all right number 14 14 Progressives, he says, follow Jesus' example in being willing to reject certain passages and theologies in the Bible and to affirm other ones. He goes um, on and says, in parentheses, he did it a lot, but he didn't give us any examples. Yeah, that, what's interesting there is he didn't give any examples at he, all. He asserts I, it without proof. I would, I would deny that. I would just simply say, unless you can demonstrate that, that's a that, that's a, a a point that you've affirmed without without proof. All right. There is no proof of that. But, uh, now, re- we do know that Jesus did contradict the traditions of the Pharisees. You know, there was the law of Moses, and Jesus never uh, uh, rejected things taught in the law of Moses. He did reject the, the human traditions that the Pharisees had instituted, uh, and, and we read of that in the gospel accounts of the life of Jesus, but he didn't reject anything that came from God. All right. Uh, number 15. Number 15. Progressives are active within the community with others, including Jews and Muslims, as fellow people of the book whose insights are often invaluable. All right. Whew. Now, you got to stop there for a minute. Take your breath. Yeah. Well, Be- the word invaluable is interesting here because you could also say that same sentence with their insights are often valuable. Invaluable and valuable both could be used the same. Ne- never mind on that. But uh, Jews. He, and, meant that he, meant there, he means there is value. I know, I know. Yeah. I just, I can know. Um, 
Jews and Muslims are pe- fellow people of the book whose insights are often invaluable. Well, you've got a big problem here because the Jews reject most, if not all, of the New Testament. And they reject Christ as being the Messiah. Sure. And so, so I mean, and that's New Testament. That uh, yeah. And, and, of course, the Muslims don't even follow the book at all. I mean, they, they've got a, t- a totally different book. So how does he say they are fellow people of the book? Uh, I want to tell you, I don't think we have anything to learn from unbelieving Jews or Muslims. Unless you're unbelieving as this gentleman is, and in which you probably have lots to gain from. Now, now we there, there's a lot to learn from a study of, of the Old Testament with the Jews follow. But a Jew who goes to the Old Testament and concludes from the Old Testament that Jesus is not the Messiah is not somebody that we have anything in common with. Uh, so I, I really, and especially the Muslims, the Muslims don't believe anything that we believe. And they don't they don't accept the book that we follow. They follow a different book. I don't understand how they're supposed to all be. Okay. Chris is on the same wavelength here. He says, so those who deny the deity of Christ, the reality and sufficiency of his death on the cross, do believe we work our way to acceptability to God, have something to teach us? What exactly, unless you are presenting those truths to them, it is a futile exercise. And so Chris says, yeah, there's nothing here to gain. Uh, but I think they probably all would base, they, they all would be in the same boat here as they're, they're rejecting what the, the truths of the scriptures are. Uh, John, Jack says Muslims are not people of the Bible. Yeah, exactly. John John in Oklahoma says this progressive view gives a person the religious approval which appeases their conscience. They can believe in God and walk a religious line without truly believing and submitting to God. They get the good feeling without the cost of true faith and obedience. It is fundamentally a selfish and self-gratifying position. With such a perversion of the gospel, Galatians 1, 6 through 9, it's nearly impossible to study with these folks. I think that's right, John. I, as I said earlier, I just don't think we've got any common ground. I mean, we, we, we're we not playing with the same rules. We're not following the same guidebook. Uh, we, we don't have any place to start. Yeah, we need to. We'd have to start with, uh, well, where you start with an atheist and teaching uh, him that uh, that this is God's word and we need to be following it, and you'd have to you'd have to prove and establish that this is God's yeah. word. It should be he, he he goes on to say, then the last one, sixteen. We're out of time, but number sixteen, he says, progressives repeat these steps as new information and scholarship comes in. So no, he's gone one through fifteen, and then his last point is. We'll do it all over again if some something new comes in. In other words, if we were wrong the first time, we'll do it all in over. In other words, he's saying everything I just said probably isn't right, and in the future people will look back and say, no, we're doing it different again. You left yourself with uh, basically, and Stephen, there's no way to know. There's no way to be certain that I'm doing what God wants me to do. Yeah, I think you're exactly right, and especially uh, it was – number six that says there's no objective right way to interpret a passage in that instance he just threw out everything he said there's yeah, no truth yeah, exactly right. there is no truth that's right uh, and, and again just to emphasize a ps and jack in the chat room uh, references this ps ps to his to his blog employing this approach that we've been talking about in the program tonight this way progressives interpret the scripture Employing this approach leaves me with no question in my mind that homosexuality between consenting adults is a com- in a committed monogamous relationship is not sinful. Well, I'm not surprised to see him come to that conclusion. Now, he can question everything in the Bible, but he has no question here that he's, yeah. he's for sure that it is okay. But, but now, I could take I could do I could following his approach that he's laid out here. I could say 
that I am absolutely positive that there's nothing wrong with bestiality or stealing. He says, but he makes, it's got to be between consenting adults and committed monogamous relationships. How does he get to say it's got to be Yeah, how does he get to set those rules? How does he get to establish those rules? Why does it have to be monogamous? That's just, that's arbitrary on his part. My reason and experience tells me it shouldn't have to be that way. Yeah. So, so we uh, really have, when you start, when you open that door, when you go down that road and you begin to, if you do it on one thing, then you've got to, you've got to throw the whole Bible out. If, I, we, if, we, if we get to one instruction that we don't like and we say, that's probably not what God meant there because I don't like it, or that's probably an error, or, or I'm going to use uh, my reasoning to reason that away. You do that on one thing, throw the whole book out. Exactly. And we're out of time, but just in a concluding thought, Jacob, this is the way progressives think. This guy is a United Methodist preacher. If we have any Methodists listening, I think you should be aghast that this is the 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 thinking of your leadership. But I believe he's accurate. I think he's been very honest. I think he's really ex- exposed his inner thoughts on this matter of how to use Scripture. Is that what you want? Is that the way you think Scripture should be applied? I think I think Methodists and other mainline denominationalists, because most mainline denominationalists would be right in line with this. You got to realize that that just opens the door to anything and everything men decide to do. Yep. And why why waste your time reading the Bible? You might as well read any book because you could glean tr- so-called truths out of any book. Uh, and, and you could have just as much confidence in them as you would in the Bible because you have totally discounted the Bible. You might as well throw it out. It's not worth the paper that it's printed on if you believe, uh, like this gentleman does, uh, that uh, the words are not inspired, they're not inerrant and infallible, and uh, that there's no way to know for sure that you're interpreting them correctly. Exactly right. All right. Well, it's been a good discussion tonight. Stephen, thank you for taking time out of your schedule to be here. Appreciate you being here. And, uh, Dad, thank you for your time. Thanks, Jacob. Thank you for listening. We hope you benefited from our study and discussion of God's Word. If you've got any questions about what we've said, we encourage you to contact us, questions at collegeu.com. And we encourage you to be back here this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And in the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired Word of the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.